John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Jesus is the great I am. That's what we've been talking about the several many Sundays. And each of these I am statements we've talked about point to the reality that Jesus is the great I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth. And I am the true vine. Last week, we we started looking at Jesus' last statement of him being the true vine. And this statement means that Jesus continues to sustain his people after they come to saving faith. Think about that. Jesus continues to sustain you after you come to faith in him. He is the vine, you are the branches. For apart from him, you can do nothing. You see, you are to abide in Jesus by enjoying him, enjoying him in a mutual relationship or a mutual friendship, and you are to glorify him by surrendering your life to his lordship. And when you abide in Jesus, that's when fruit is produced in your life. Now this morning, we're going to see Jesus begin to point his disciples to a particular fruit he wants to see produced in his li- their lives. And it's also the fruit he wants to see produced in your life. So if you have your Bible, John 15, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit shall abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. For these things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your truth, we need your spirit. And I do praise you that even when technology doesn't work well, your spirit can still move. Because it's not the technology, it's not the man, but it's your spirit. That causes anything to change in this world, that causes anything to change in our lives, it's because of him. In what he does. He is the deposit that guarantees our inheritance. Not us. Not our leaders. Not our good works. Not all the good things we think we do. But it's the spirit that lives in us. He is the one who guarantees it. And he has to be the one to minister. Not just to our minds. But also to our hearts. Because if the word doesn't touch our heart. It will never overflow into our life. It needs to be more than just things that we say. It needs to be more than just things that we sing about. And catechisms that we memorize. And theology that we memorize. It has to take hold of our hearts to transform us. So Spirit of God, we pray, plead, and beg that you will come 
and minister today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Love. L-O-V-E. Is the fruit that Jesus wants to see produced in the disciples' life and your life. He wants them and you to continue to embrace his love and to also extend love to other people. But first, you have to embrace his love before you can extend it. Embrace the love of Christ. Verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Before the disciples could could extend love to to one another, they they need to first embrace Jesus' love for them. We love why? Why do we love? Because he first loved us. So the disciples and you need to understand Jesus' love. This is what he implies in this verse. Love one another as I have loved you. So if you don't know how Jesus loves you, how can you love as he loves? If you don't know how Jesus loves you today, at this moment, how can you extend that love? How can you love like he loves? You have to embrace Jesus' love for you continually. Not just at one moment, not just when you become a believer, not just when you receive him in seven faith, but you have to embrace it every day, continually, for the rest of your life. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus elaborates on how he loves his people. Greater love than no one in this, that someone should lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for I have, for all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. I have made known to you, he says. First, Jesus loves as a friend. He loves as a friend. And he wants his disciples and you to understand that he loves you not like you're the help. Not like you're a servant. Not like you're a butler or a maid. He loves you as a friend. Do you understand that? Do you embrace that? No longer do I call you to help. No longer do I call you to servant. I call you friend. A servant does not know the master's business. A servant does not know what the master is doing. Why? A servant and a master, they have a boss-slash-employee type of relationship. Those type of relationships don't get too personal. It's usually confined to the workplace. The employee and the boss are usually not best friends. They're not close friends. They're not going to go to the sports bar together, usually. And so Jesus telling his disciples, I don't love you like that. I don't love you like you're an employee. I don't love you like you're my servant. I love you like you're my friend. And if you have saving faith in Jesus, and that is you resting, depending, and trusting in Jesus, then you are his friend. A friend is a person who you know personally, where you both have a mutual bond of affection for each other. What kind of friend is Jesus? What kind of friend is he? 
Do you see him as your friend? Do you live that way? What kind of friend is Jesus? He's a personal friend. He's an affectionate friend. He's a caring friend. He shares his life. He's transparent with his life. He tells the disciples, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I have not kept anything from you. I have shared my life with you. I have walked alongside of you. All that Father has made known to me, I have made known to you. And what does Jesus make known to them? It's the revelation of himself. I am who I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am divine. I am the son of God. I am the Christ. He makes known to them his finished work upon the cross. And his finished work is the fullest expression of his friendship to you. The fullest expression of his friendship to you. John, I think it's John Cervate or Cervate, was a student at University of Tuscaloosa who lost his life on Monday during the violent storms that came through. He did so saving his girlfriend's life. Some of you may know this story. And one of his friends told a reporter he held up a concrete wall long enough for his girlfriend to get out from under it before it collapsed on him again. This girl's life goes on because John did not abandon her in her greatest need, in her greatest hour of need. Instead, he sacrificed his life to save her life. And I bet you she would never forget John's sacrifice. She would never forget what he did for us, her, like we often forget what Jesus did for us. How can we often forget what Jesus did for us? Because he did the same thing. All of us are under the collapsing wall of God's wrath. Everybody but Jesus. I should get an amen now at this point. But when you have a but Jesus, that, that's a, that deserves an amen. But Jesus saves you from the collapsing wall by sacrificing his life for your life. He lays it down. For Jesus is not a fair-weather friend who, who only supports you when life is easy and when it's convenient, but he's there in the great, your greatest need. And the cross is the proof of that. He's proof of that. He's not a fair-weather friend. And the cross is evident of that. So if you're thinking you're alone, if you're thinking you're abandoned, you're thinking you're by yourself, look at the cross. It's the proof that you need that you're not. Because your greatest need was for freedom from your sin. He paid a price for that. So how can he not deliver you from what you're going through now? How can he not? That's small compared to the sin that held you in bondage. How can he not? Don't forget his sacrifice. Don't forget it. Remember it. Embrace it. Jesus is a friend who loves sacrificially. This is the love 
He wants you to embrace continually. It's a sacrificial love. That's what it is. Because it cost him his life for you to have it. First John 3.16 says, By this we know love. Listen to that. By this we know love. That he lays down his life for us. By this we know love. Now that God gives you stuff. Now that God makes your life perfect. Now that God makes your life easy. Now that God gives you everything you want. No, you know love because he laid down his life for you. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Remember, Jesus is not in the grave anymore. He he rose again. And, And in doing so, he still extends this sacrificial love to you in a mutual relationship. You see, he's there through all the circumstances of life, the highs and lows, the valleys and mountaintops. And you must embrace him still. The same way you embraced him when you came to saving faith in him, you still embrace him. You still embrace that love. But how do we do it? How do we continue to embrace the sacrificial love of Christ? Francis Schaeffer tells us. He says, the church, that is you and me, needs to function consciously on the basis of the finished work of Christ. Not on the proud basis of any inherent value in ourselves or any supposed or assumed inherent superiority in ourselves. Only on the finished work of Christ. We sung about it in Christ alone. Embrace his love by resting in his finished work and what Jesus has done for you and purchased for you. This means all your security, all your significance, all your righteousness, all your hope, all your peace, all your empowerment, all your value, all your dignity, all your peace comes from what Jesus has done and nowhere else. If you try to find it in anything else, that's sinking sand. Sinking sand. The question is, do you believe it? Not here, but Monday morning. Is this true for you? Is it true then? Is it true then? Cast your life upon him, for he cares. As the, as the author of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Right. Well, we don't have that type of high priest. We don't have a, a, a high priest who sits in the tower and doesn't know what's going on. But we have one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Because he's walked in our shoes. He knows from personal experience. He didn't read books about what it meant to be human. He wasn't in heaven studying, well, this is what it means to be a man. I need to get a job. I need to... No, he knows from personal experience of what it's like to be human. Personal experience. He does. You mean, he has to continue to embrace his sacrificial love for you. And if you haven't embraced it, then the invitation extends to you today. But will you come? But will you come? It extends to you. 
If you have saving faith in him already, if you already know Christ, then don't stop embracing him. Don't stop. You continue to embrace that love. This is what Jesus wants you and, and the disciples to understand. He is a friend who loves sacrificially. So you have to embrace it 365 days of the year. Not on a part-time basis. This has to be all over your life. Not on a part-time basis. Because he ain't a part-time savior. And so you've got to embrace it every day. John, chapters 13 through 17, is known as Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. And these are Jesus' final words to the disciples before he goes to the cross. And you know, in chapter 13, he washes their feet. In chapter 14, he talks about the spirit and in peace. In 15, he talks about the vine. And in chapter 16, he talks about the spirit again. And in chapter 17, he talks about this is high priestly prayer. You see, these farewell discourses are things that Jesus wants them to take to heart. Remember these things. In these words, no longer do I call you a servant, but friends, is a farewell statement to Jesus, to the, to the disciples. The first time he's called them friends in the whole Gospel of John is right here. When he's getting ready to go to the cross. This is what I want you to remember before I go. You are my friend. You are not my servant. You are my friends. My friends. What thoughts are going through your mind when you think about Jesus calling you his friend? What kind of thoughts could, could have been going through the disciples' mind when, they, when the, the teacher, the rabbi says, you're not my servants, you're, you're my friends? What kind of thoughts? Comfort? excitement, you know, Jesus is my buddy, Jesus is my homie, Jesus is like me, Jesus is on my level, Jesus is grassroots, you know, Jesus is a regular person, Jesus is, is blue collar, Jesus is now equal. But Jesus says, hold up, hold up, hold up, stop the presses, slow your roll. Wait just one minute before you go off into this fantasy land where you and I become start holding hands, walking through the park together. Just hold up. We're friends, but don't get things twisted. But don't get things twisted. Because we can. You see, Jesus wants us to embrace the sacrificial love, but there's also another aspect of his love that we have to also embrace. It ain't just sacrificial. It's also authoritative. It ain't just sacrificial. It's also authoritative. This is what he means in verse 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you. That's authoritative. He makes a transition to, to what he's talking about because the disciples didn't choose to be in a relationship with Jesus. They did not elect Jesus. They didn't chase Jesus down. They didn't run to Jesus and choose him to be their teacher. He elects them. He freely chose them to be with him. The disciples, Jesus is the subject in that sentence who performs the choosing. And the disciples are the direct object who receives the action. That's what all you English teachers, if you're English teacher. They receive the action. They don't perform it. They receive the choosing. They receive the appointing. He also appoints them. That means he assigned them. He has established them. He's telling disciples, I have chose you not just for eternal life, but I have also set you apart in the world. 
to be in the world but not of the world. These words also apply to you. Jesus did not, you did not choose Jesus. Jesus chose you in spite of you. I know it's hard for us Americans to think like that because we're Americans. Everybody should like us. Jesus chose you. You didn't choose him. He has set you apart in this world. He has assigned you to be in the world but not of the world. What is Jesus doing in this verse? He is showing you the other side of his love. It's sacrificial and it's authoritative. Why? Because your relationship with Jesus is not a relationship between equals. It's not a relationship between equals. It's not like me being friends with with my friends from college where we're all the same and we're equal. And my relationship with Jesus is like this. It's like this. It's one-sided. It's how it's always going to be. Now, this is countercultural to American culture, which attempts to see everyone as equal. That's why we don't like formal titles. You know, like for me, when, when folks introduce me, I don't like for them to introduce me as pastor. Just introduce me as Alex, your friend. And that's where we are in culture, because I want to be seen as a regular guy, just like everybody else, because we're all equal. David Livermore says, he's an author, he says, one of the greatest compliments to give someone in authority is she's just a regular person. Jesus does not follow that cultural preference. There is a difference in being friends with Jesus. And he wants you and his disciples to understand the difference. You have to embrace the difference. He loves you not with a sacrificial love, but an authoritative love. He is a friend who loves you sacrificially, but he is a king who also has authority over you. A king who also has authority over your life. So he is just not a regular person. He is just not an average Joe. In your relationship with Jesus, don't forget his otherness. Don't humanize Jesus to the place where you lose reverence for him, where he's just like you. Don't humanize Jesus to the place where you no longer stand in awe of his presence. Don't humanize Jesus to the place where you no longer fear him and forget that he is God. He is not just a man. He's just not one of us. Keep in mind, he stoops down to be your friend. Know that. He stooped down from heaven to be your friend. You didn't stoop up. He stooped down to you to be your friend, to bring you up to his level. That's what he did. As Americans, we don't like that. But it's true, regardless of how you feel about it. Jesus stoops down to be your friend. He did. His love is also an authoritative love, and it's a demanding love. It's an imperative love, for it makes demands upon your life. It makes demands upon your life. Now, we love the sacrificial love of Jesus because we don't make no demands. Jesus done this for me. But when we get over here to this authoritative love where Jesus starts saying, that doesn't belong to you anymore. That's mine. Then was like, hey, what do you mean that's yours? What do you mean it's no longer my stuff? What do you mean it's no longer just my life, my money? What Jesus is saying, if you want that, it also comes with this. All you are now belongs to me. Everything, down from the shoes on your feet, is mine. 
is mine. And how do you embrace this authoritative love? You embrace it in two ways. It's surrender and acceptance. You surrender and you accept. You surrender all that you are to him and you accept all he is doing in your life. Even when life is hard. You accept it. You surrender. Second Corinthians 5.13 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Sacrificial love, authoritative love. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. For he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for whose sake died and rose again. In that one verse, you have the two aspects of his love right there in that one verse. It's sacrificial and it's authoritative. And you have to embrace both of them if you're going to be able to love like Jesus loves. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for a love that not only sacrifices for me, but a love that also covers me and watches over me, demands things of me. I thank you for that. That even right now you are in heaven still in the sea on our behalf, still covering us with this love. And I pray that your spirit would take these words and apply it to my heart. I don't know what everybody else is going through, but I know what I'm going through. And I need it. And my prayer for uh, this church and our visitors, our leaders, our officers, that you, Lord, would take the word and apply it to us and humble us so that we would know all that we are in Christ. And that same love will also empower us to live out of that, under your authority in all that we do. And as we go forth this day to, to, to begin a new week, I pray that your spirit will go with us and before us. No matter what comes across our path, no matter what we go through, help us to know that we're never alone, we're never forsaken, for our Lord is still there. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?